listeners, you are listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180, your conversation station. Also, you're probably listening on excellentcultures.com at the podcast. We're excited about today's show. My name is Zach Andra. Steve, say hello. Hey, everybody. I don't know if you guys know, but uh, Excellent Cultures is excited about our guest today. We're excited about what's been going on in businesses and stuff. I don't know if you guys caught our show last week, but Nancy Truett Pierce was excellent. That was one of the fastest shows we've ever done. It's a normal time, but it just seemed to fly yeah, we by. Don't, we don't normally get to talk to someone who has 176 leaders that she mentors on yeah. a weekly basis. 176 leaders. I can't even manage $176. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that is impressive. And uh, Steve, what's been going on this week? Well, great things happening. Uh, working with a, a new client that is... Uh, a great family, successful family business that's just gotten huge service business. And as, you know, happens with most great businesses, when you get big and you grow fast, uh, stuff starts popping up in the culture that's trying to slow you down. Yeah. So, you know, our mission is to help the good guys win. So when we've got good guys that have great cultures and they have ugly stuff pop up, we want to help them uh, fix not the ugly stuff that pops up because they do that themselves very well, yeah. but help them identify what's going on below the surface so that no more ugly stuff pops up and slows them down. Yeah. I, I, I love always hearing the, the, the people we're working with and the things we got going on. And one of the things that was probably most encouraging for me over the last few shows was, was when I asked you, what does it look like? What's those slang word for those cultures that have the gossip, the backbiting, the challenges and the and the struggles like that, people are upset, not wanting to come to win to work. And Steve, your answer was, those are normal. Yeah, normal <laughs> so we're trying to get past normal, everybody. And we're making new more new, new normals in the corporations, companies, and families that we are directly involved with. One thing that's cool, Steve, coming up is uh, a few shows back. And you guys, listeners, you can listen to it on the podcast at bizcultureMatters, or uh, I'm sorry, at excellentcultures.com. Um, but uh, Mike Moore, who is the father of PGA Tour golfer Ryan Moore, is going to be on the show soon. Well, we had Mike Moore on. Ryan Moore is going to be on the show soon. Tell us about that, Steve. Well, um, Ryan is, uh, this is a golf family. I mean, a family business. You know, they own golf courses in the Northwest, and you want to be sure and hear their whole story at excellentcultures.com slash podcasts, plural. But, um, you know, Ryan is uh, a young guy that's just really making huge uh great things happen on the PGA Tour, and he's not your typical look-how-great-I-am kind of an athlete. I mean, he's a quiet, humble, you know, um, non-self-promoting kind of a guy. And he finished in the top 20 last year in the FedEx. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, as you're listening to this show, he finished fourth in the Phoenix Open. And, uh, you know, kind of the opposite of the Tiger Woods kind of a culture guy who is really coming on strong. So we'll be having Ryan on the show before long. And he's a, you know, he's a local Seattle guy who grew up here and his family has a business here. Great people, great family. Make sure you listen to their podcast. Yeah. One of the things that was beautiful to hear about Ryan is, uh, he's one of the few PGA tour people that, uh, sent, um, gosh, what, now the word's slipping me, but he had, he had some people that wanted to sponsor him. And, you know, you've got the big brands like Nike and Reebok or whatever, or TaylorMade or, and he he just decided I'm not going to have any of those sponsorships. Is that what they're called, Steve? Yeah, sponsorships. Sponsorships. I'm not going to have any of those sponsorships unless I've actually tried the product. It's something I would endorse and actually like. So he went a whole season with no sponsorships, meaning no money. Where I don't know about you, but if you want to sponsor this radio show, I'll get your name tattooed on my arm. <laughs> 
So, <laughs> so that's no, exciting. That's not true. That's, that's, you're right. That's it's not, not true. Well, I tell you what, you could, you'd get, no, the, what part is true is you would get your name, their name tattooed on your arm, but they wouldn't be on the radio yeah, show. Yeah, they wouldn't be on the radio show. So anyways, I mean, I say that and I joke, but the, man, what a man of integrity. The, the, the good news is the guest we have today is just the opposite of the guys that get your, you, that you get their name tattooed absolutely, on your arm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our guest today is uh, Michael Fox. He's the CEO of Goodwill of Silicon Valley. Michael, are you with us? Yes, I am. I'm glad to be here. We're glad to have you. We're excited. And uh, we're also excited to talk to somebody in the Silicon Valley area that has some sun going on. We're in uh, cloudy Seattle right now, so we're glad to have you. Oh, great. We're, we're enjoying about 70-degree weather today, but we're supposed to have rain tomorrow. Awesome. I'm, well, I'm glad we're sending that down because I think we're supposed to have some tomorrow. So. We're excited that you're going to have rain instead yeah. of us. But. Yeah, it's exciting. We're I looking for a bigger snowpack, yeah. so we're yeah. excited. Well, there you yeah. go. That'll be good. That'll yeah. be good for your skiing endeavors, which, by the way, I did happen to notice skiing is one of your favorite pastimes, is it not, Michael? Yes, it is. As, as well as golf, so he needs to be listening to the show with Ryan Moore here coming <laughs> up in the next couple of weeks. We and... need to get he and Ryan together because what you guys are going to find out about Michael as you listen to him today uh, Michael is as good at building, at turning around businesses and building cultures that are what I call cultures with a heart that have huge monetary value to yeah. the shareholders as, as Ryan is at, you know, playing golf with a heart. Right, exactly. And we get, like, that's the great thing about having a radio show and being, being able to host it is because Michael Fox is one of those guys that has a legitimate background of some great pluses that he wouldn't brag on, but we will. So, I, I mean, listeners, stay tuned today because Michael alone, uh, with the great teams and the cultures and the companies that he's been involved with, turned around a beverage distri- distributorship growing from sales from $27 million to $62 million. That's Snapple, right, Mike? Well, it was a distributorship with Snapple, Anheuser-Busch, Corona, first distributor in the United States with Red Bull. So a lot of products that we, we used to grow that business. But uh, we were $27 million and declining, actually. Wow. We were able to turn that around. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, yeah. and we're excited to hear some of those stories as well as the great work he's already done with Goodwill of Silicon Valley. Uh, in the year, first year, or a year, he turned it from $2.7 million loss to a $1.2 million gain in a year. And what's interesting about, I mean, Goodwill, as you know, is a nonprofit, and all those monies that a private company would be showing as profits get invested back into the community in the work that Mike and his team are doing at uh, Goodwill of Silicon Valley. But what's interesting is, I mean, this is a business, and we'll get Mike to tell you more about it in a second, and we've had the good fortune of uh, working with Mike and his team on on helping them build their culture that uh, is part of, you know, what what his people have done to, to create this turnaround for about four years now. But what's so exciting about this is, uh, they're doing this with uh, under uh, underemployed, unemployed folks. Part of their mission and uh, their strategy and their philosophy is to help help people who come from some of the struggling sides of our society and are doing it in just a phenomenal way that is an example for for-profit businesses to follow. Yeah, absolutely. This is incredible. Michael, we're glad to have you. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Well, now I'm the uh, CEO of Goodwill Silicon Valley, and uh, we're an uh, organization down here in, in the Santa Clara Valley working in the high-tech area. And it's interesting, uh, being in Silicon Valley, uh, you, the area that we are uh, has the highest 
disparity uh, of anywhere in the state, any county in the state, wow. the haves and the have-nots. So, you know, many people look at Silicon Valley and look at it as, boy, that's where all the tech billionaires are. And we have our share, in fact, probably more than anywhere else in the country. And the Valley is starting to boom again, and we're seeing good employment rates. Um, at the same time, though, we have one of the highest poverty rates and highest unemployment rates among those who have barriers to employment of anywhere in the state. So that disparity is just huge uh, compared to other areas in the state of California. So that's where Goodwill comes in and, and, and the work that our team does. And uh, I want to say a great work that our team has done over the last four years. Um, and really, in a nutshell, we have a big, long mission, but uh, really what we do is we improve people's lives through the power of work. Mm. And that means that we take people with barriers to employment and through different programs and training and also through paid jobs, um, we remove those barriers uh, so that they can seek employment outside of the goodwill employment and improve uh, their bottom line, uh, their economic opportunity, and their sustainability uh, going forward. Yeah, what I thought is uh, so cool, and Mike's business is uh, not the first nonprofit that Excellent Cultures has have the had the opportunity to serve over our 35-year history, but probably the most effective uh, nonprofit that I think we've worked with in terms of actually helping people change their lives in a positive direction and running a very effective, high-performance, very efficient business, as, you know, we demonstrated earlier by the kind of turnaround that, uh, you know, Mike has been able under his leadership and with his team uh, to cause to happen. I mean, uh, 19 retail stores now, is that right, Mike? Yeah, 19 retail stores. We have about seven other businesses, too. Uh, just started a very successful e-commerce business in July, and which is doing really well, which also allows us to employ a number of young adults on the autism Asperger spectrum, spectrum, and also has allowed us to employ ex-offenders in the shipping department of that business. So, wow. Uh, it's, wow. It's been very successful. Uh, we expect this year to uh, probably hit about $2.3 in that business and just started it in July. So it's a, been a rapid run-up, uh, so that works really well for us. Can you, um, can you share it? Is that part of Goodwill, or is that a separate? Yeah, yeah that's part of Goodwill. Okay. Um, it's uh, what, what our e-commerce business is doing is it's selling our, um, our books online. We get thousands and thousands of books uh, donated a year, hundreds of thousands of books, and they're very valuable. Before, we used to just sell them to a vendor. Now we're listing them both on eBay and Amazon ourselves, and we have uh, listers that are doing that. And then we're taking items that have a high collectible value. And uh, in the past, they were sold in the store at probably much lower values than what they were worth. And now we, we have listers that list them on both uh, a website called shopgoodwill.com and also eBay. The uh, e funny thing is we're, sh we're listing on eBay, and I'm sitting about a mile from eBay's headquarters right now. Well, in listening to Mike, uh, listeners, you can't help but think about how if our government could learn, especially our federal government, could learn some lessons from what Mike and his team are doing at Goodwill – essentially taking oppor business opportunities, uh, engaging the unemployed and the underemployed in turning those into profitable entities and then investing the money back into growing and buying more and starting more businesses and doing more. You know, Mike is not a politician. I mean, he, you know, he tells the truth. <laughs> he tells the truth far <laughs> too much to be, to be a good politician. But, wow, if our government could learn something from Mike and the work that his team at Goodwill or at Silicon Valley are doing, how much better a country and, and states and everything would we be? Yeah, I'm part of the, the impact of the culture 
in the organization that I think we've been able to really change with the help of Excellent Cultures is, is that we've become more of an impact-focused organization. Before, it was just about numbers served, and it was very loose definitions of what was served. Uh, we don't look at that anymore. It's who are we impacting and the size of the impact. So it's really about employing people uh, in jobs outside of Goodwill. And so uh, we have lots of KPIs here at Goodwill now that we look at where we can really measure um, the work that we do uh, where before it, we really didn't uh, hold ourselves to that kind of accountability. Yeah, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. We're going into a break, and uh, we're excited to hear more from Mike Fox of Goodwill Silicon Valley. And, uh, man, some exciting stuff happening there. You've been listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM. We'll be right back. Remember Ross Perot, the Texas millionaire who ran for president in the early 90s? Did you realize that he's built multiple companies that sold for billions? Each of his companies held a strong values-based culture. We interviewed his CFO and COO. His insightful comments on the role of culture in business are posted on the Culture News blog at excellentcultures.com. Take a look. You'll gain wonderful insights to building your own Excellent Cultures on excellentcultures.com. You can also follow us at XLNT Cultures or Facebook slash Excellent Cultures. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than Excellent Cultures. After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. As an executive, CEO, or business owner, do you find yourself struggling with work-life balance and achieving your goals at work and home? Are you overwhelmed in your workload and feel important things aren't getting done? Our coaches specialize in helping leaders like you overcome challenges and build a plan to recenter their life, to achieve the balance and success you've always hoped for in your business and your personal life. Ask the experts at Excellent Cultures about the right plan for you. And we're back with Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM. And our guest today, Mike Fox of Goodwill Silicon Valley, just shared some amazing things with us if you're just tuning in uh, regarding the stuff that Goodwill's doing, e-commerce and some new things. E-commerce, uh, their new e-commerce is uh, shopgoodwill.com, selling books, uh, even through eBay and Amazon, listing stuff, paying and making jobs for... Uh, ex-cons and those that are needing work. That's huge, Mike. I'm excited to hear a little bit more about that with our a nonprofit that we run as well. I'm in, a, I'm in communication with a lot of those people that are looking for those jobs, and we need more businesses employing uh, people that are in need in that way. It's beautiful. Well, uh, what I might say about Mike, and then we have a, a bunch of questions we want him to share on, is that uh, the way that, you know, having watched his team and the culture of his team, develop and grow and improve from, you know, the early days when, you know, large millions of dollars of red ink were being written to the, you know, highly productive days now is the kind of culture and the kind of leadership that they have deployed is making a very successful business of 
helping people uh, get off of welfare, yeah. you know, and, and, and build their dignity and build their respect and helping ex-offenders, you know, uh, change their, their culture and their mindset yeah. in a way that is productive and effective and changes lives and does it in a way that is a very successful business. So, you know, Mike, what else, what else can you tell us about what, what you guys are doing that's different? At, I mean, I know you guys are kind of the, becoming the poster child of Goodwill Industries nationwide. What, is it that, what else are, are you doing differently at Goodwill Silicon Valley that maybe someone in Seattle or someone in Chicago who might be listening to this and is a Goodwill promoter, what are you guys doing at Goodwill Silicon Valley that other nonprofits can learn from that are, is making such a huge difference? Well, first, I, I do want to highlight that, that actually we've learned a lot from other Goodwills and, and helped us. And, and the Goodwill there in Seattle and in Tacoma are two excellent examples of great organizations that are doing some unbelievable things uh, and really kind of pioneered uh, the e-commerce business in the Goodwill. End. And, and also you mentioned Chicago and the Milwaukee Goodwill, which covers Chicago, is is a legend in Goodwills of what they do. So, so best practice of, benchmarking, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, a lot of great stuff that we're able to benchmark off of. But some of the things that we're doing, I think, um, uh, that are may, may or may not be unique, but are, are things that have worked for us, is one, um, uh, I think um, we really do uh, hold ourselves accountable to for making impact, and we really do track and measure a lot of key um, business indicators, uh, KPIs, and, and private business where I came from, especially working with the anheuser Bushes of the world, the Coronas, the Red Bulls, they really do hold you accountable to a lot of key performance measures and uh, the things that are the drivers of your business. So you're constantly measuring and improving off of those. So I think that's the one thing that I was able to bring to this business was, um, one, uh, a system that allowed us to to start uh, generating that information, tracking that information, and then being able to set it and set it as goals and, and go after that. Um, and that really is what gives us the opportunity to make impact. If everybody kind of knows where we're at, we're able to measure where we are, we can then improve it. Uh, one of the unique things we're doing, too, I think that really has um, been successful in our business is that we have what's called a wellness center, and we have uh, um, uh, three trained psychologists that are coaching and mentoring uh, 22 post-PhD interns in psychology. They've already got their PhDs, but they need to put in about 2,000 hours before they can get their license in actual counseling. And they work with uh, uh, people coming into our system, um, uh, primarily ex-offenders and people who have been uh, who are homeless or in uh, transitional shelter programs. And it really, we, we have a different thing. Instead of most people are used to going to therapy, and a therapist asks them, well, how do you feel, and how do you feel about that, and how do you feel about this? We don't use that method. We use a newer method that is starting to take hold uh, called evidence-based psychology. It's really a, a cognitive behavioral therapy where we get right to the matter, causing the, the – sometimes in, in AA they call it stinking thinking, but it's about you know that negative self-talk, uh, that uh, what, where's the, where in your life did you start to go wrong from the standpoint of your thinking and try to then turn around that thinking uh, and uh, try to get them uh, thinking in a more positive way. A lot of it like what you, you do, Steve, and, and we even use some stuff in some other programs that Excellent Cultures provides us um, uh, for people coming in, some behavioral change. So we're, um, that's something that we do. Last year we saw over 600 people, wow. by average of 10 times, so over 1,000 wow. visits. And we were able to do that um, for a total cost of probably about $130,000. That's very inexpensive when you look at that many people and free of charge. We don't charge one dime for that. Uh, the only cost to, to Goodwill really is that we, we pay for these psychologists 
um, their time because they're taking hours away from their practice to go ahead and, and do this. Um, so uh, we have this doctor of all who runs the program. She's uh, just fabulous. Uh, she was named psychologist of the year, and uh, she really got the program up and running. And I have to give her all the credit for the success of that that program. But we're finding that people that we bring in are able to, if they're homeless, after they've had sessions here, they want they want to be they want to get a transitional housing or get into some kind of housing. If they're in transitional housing, they may be ready to start looking for a job. So it's about it's not about instant cures or anything like that, but it's about moving them up to the next peg in the ladder, right? So getting them to move to the next level and hopefully then another level, and eventually they become their lives become sustainable and they're not relying uh, on uh, government services or not taking advantage of any government services, but just uh, living on the street and, and causing problems in those areas. Another thing that I think is kind of unique um, uh, is that we don't mind sharing uh, our credit or what we do in our community, and we've partnered with three organizations uh, that we now are housing at Goodwill um, that have similar missions and, and kind of support. Um, one is uh, Teen Force that works with uh, foster kids, and we were looking at how do we get into the foster kids and get them start getting them employed. Instead of us going out and competing against Teen Force, they were already doing it. Um, we asked them, uh, can we work with you? We brought them into Goodwill. We house them here. We, we give them a monthly stipend uh, to run part of their organization, and they in turn bring us foster kids that we can put into programs working from us from about the ages of 16 to 24 is the group we're working with. Uh, another organization, Sunday Friends, wonderful organization, we're housing them. They teach fa uh, families who are sheltered or families who are homeless how to um, become more responsible and sustainable in the way their families are. And they come on Sundays and they learn to, through volunteering to earn script where they can go then and buy necessities. And uh, they've got a huge following. And then we also just recently, um, one of our uh, kitchens, uh, food kitchens, uh, were um, got uh, uh, terminated out of one of their leases um, where they were um, feeding uh, people who are homeless or people who uh, have homes but have low incomes and can't always provide meals for their families, three meals a day. And now three days a week we're serving about 110 to 115 people. Just started that program in January here at Goodwill. Uh, and it gives us better utilization rate of our kitchen. We have a cafeteria, but we weren't using it between the hours of 1.30 and 6.30 at night, and now we're able to better utilize that and feed people and families that are in this area that can't always provide good, nutritious, hot meals for their children or themselves. Wow. Incredible. Okay, so listeners, Goodwill is more than thrift stores. I think that's one of the big things to hear. We're definitely noticing that. I, there's so many things that you guys are doing, even bringing in-house. Michael, this is wonderful to hear. Well, and there are three wonderful organizations that I have all the respect in the world for, and they're just doing amazing stuff. And so it's it's great that we've got an income stream and a level of money that, that we can work with these organizations. And, and uh, you know, many, they're, they're kind of bootstrapped organizations, which I like too, very entrepreneurial. That's the type of guy I am. So I, I really appreciate working with people that, and organizations that are entrepreneurial and doing things that are uh, cutting edge and different and unique than the other big, large agencies that are in this, in this valley. Well, Mike, listening to you, as you know from the work we've done you know, with your folks at Excellent Cultures, we're all about creating environments through data, through measurements that show people what they're doing or not doing based upon numbers and getting the emotions and feelings and subjective judgment out of it 
and you know boiling down to KPIs and things that you can measure that increase the effectiveness of the organization, the business, and, and just kind of listening to you share best practices, if you will. Uh, I heard um, five best practices that you guys are doing that our listeners should be aware of. I mean, the first one was, I mean, you, you, you uh, maintain relationships with other goodwills across the country and you, and you share best practices and learn from each other. You know, how huge is that? Uh, what I heard you say was that you're benchmarking, you know, areas of human behavior uh, with KPIs that uh, generate and drive the business and create co-accountability with your people. Uh, you're fostering entrepreneurial innovation in your culture where you don't just have people coming to work every day to punch a clock or draw a check and do their job. They're looking for creative new ways that they can uh, change lives, save lives, improve lives, help people get more jobs, turn, you know, turn the unemployment rates around into positive life experiences, partnering with other organizations through strategic alliances. I mean, so, so many businesses would view the guys that you're, you're helping the other organizations as competitors and be threatened by them, and you guys aren't. And then you're maximizing the utilization of your assets by partnering with these other organizations and letting them use your facilities when you're not using them, I mean, how huge are those? Well, yeah, that that that's you know when I, when I came to Goodwill, one of the things that I saw was how the low utilization of the assets. I mean, if you take a look at our headquarters, sixteen and a half acres, you know, a, a forty-seven thousand square foot warehouse and another ninety-five thousand square foot office and administrative offices and. Uh, it, you know, a lot of it was not being used. Um, a lot of it because the business wasn't there, the, the organization was losing money, so there was a lot of empty offices and empty areas. We, we're, we're now where we're starting to really utilize more of our um, of our areas and just our assets. Um, but I'm still there's a long way to go. I'm used to coming from an industry in the beverage industry where we were utilizing um, you know our warehouse assets probably 23 hours a day, and even our vehicles 10 to 12 hours a day. Um, which are very decent utilization rates. Um, so uh, coming here to Goodwill, uh, we didn't have that appreciation for the assets, yet we had a lot of money invested in them. And I think one of the things um, that we, we've really tried to stress is um, how important an asset is, especially now that we've had to invest millions of dollars, probably $7 million in the last three years, into our assets um, because they, they had uh, actually not had any investment in them for 20 years. And when you do that, you want to make sure that you're using that asset as much as possible and getting the greatest return. Um, so that, that's a key thing for us. I think one of the other things um, that we, we haven't really discussed that we might want to uh, talk a little bit about, too, is um, not just the measuring the KPIs and the performance of the organization and all those little indicators, but the human capital that we have here and the investment we've put into that and the measuring of that, and that's through measuring the culture and the type of behaviors that we, uh, that we aspire to be, but also um, where we're at in those behaviors and how we're driving the organization in that way. And so uh, that's a lot of what we do. We've been doing for the last three years. When I got here, the culture was a very top-down, um, micromanaged type culture where one or two people made all the decisions. Uh, and it was also kind of a culture of blame. Um, and I came from an organization, and I've always been more of a macro manager. So I'm just—I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with micromanaging. I'm just not comfortable in that kind of organization, and I guess that's not where my strengths lie. So we spent a lot of time over the last, after a year of trying to do it on my own, it was very difficult. Had to bring in some help, uh, but we've spent probably the last uh, two and a half to three years 
and really trying to um, create a culture um, that uh, people take responsibility for their for their own uh, achievements and also um, start to raise their standards. So it's not just me coming in saying, Nick, here's the standard that that uh, I, that we need to aspire to. Um, I want people to challenge me and my standards of where I hold the organization, and uh, and so that's very important. That's huge, and a lot of CEOs are not in that place, and it's incredible to hear the voice of someone who is and wants to continue to grow and change. We're going to go into a break here on Business Culture Matters. We will be right back. You're listening to us on Clay 1180 AM. ExcellentCultures.com is always interviewing leaders committed to cultural leadership, excellence, and change. These leaders, like Russell Freeman, Ross Perot's COO, and Bob Hinton, CPA and Moss Adams' managing partner, have world-class ideas. As advocates for creating a strong corporate culture that builds people and serves customers with excellence, they share breakthrough business ideas. Gain insights from Russell, Bob, and others on the Culture News blog at ExcellentCultures.com. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than Excellent Cultures. After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. Has business taken over your life? Are you living to work or working to live? Stress, broken marriages, neglected relationships, and poor health are symptoms of a life out of balance. The right coaching plan can have transformational impact on the quality of your performance at work, depth of relationships at home, and personal sense of well-being. Ask the experts at Excellent Cultures how coaching can help you maximize your life and optimize your work. Stop struggling to survive. Ask the experts at Excellent Cultures how coaching can help you maximize your life and optimize your work. And we're back. Listeners, you're listening to Biz Culture Matters, brought to you by ExcellentCultures.com on Clay 1180 AM. And we're on the line with Mike Fox of Goodwill, Silicon Valley CEO, and he just wrapped up a great section uh, on telling us about his uh, changes as a CEO and growing a great culture down there in Goodwill, Silicon Valley. Um, One of the things we like to hear, Michael, from CEOs, especially ones like yourself, who's been so open and transparent to share is I know that we closed off that last section before break in regards to you being more of a macro leader, not so much a micromanager leader. Tell us a little bit about what you see your strengths are as a leader and your expertise as a leader, as well as maybe some of your weaknesses. Sure. Well, I think from a standpoint of uh, uh, my, where I see myself as a leader is, is more of providing that vision. I, I see myself, I've always been comfortable in a coaching role, uh, teaching role, um, setting the vision, uh, you know, facilitating the strategy of the organization. I've, I've always been very strategic, and I think being in the beverage business and part of uh, the beverage the beverage business is a very strategic business, and it's always about having to look at that new beverage or what's happening differently, especially in the beer business. There's been such change, and uh, you really have to look at it. I was used to looking at more of a global standpoint, you know, what's going on 
you know, locally, but regionally, nationally, and then globally, what was going on in the beverage business. And, you know, if we had overlooked the global beverage business, we would have uh, missed an opportunity like Red Bull, um, which came to this country. It was starting to look at this country. I had knew about them in Austria and in Ireland and England and other areas. They were doing phenomenal business, but a lot of the beer distribution network didn't really know of them. When they came here, they were having a hard time getting distribution. Well, we took Red Bull from a couple thousand cases a month to about 700,000 cases a year, one of the, and it's the highest gross profit item our distributorship carried. Wow. So from a strategy standpoint, I think one of my strengths is I have a very global, a good global view of things uh, from that standpoint. Um, I'm also, I think, very good at hiring the right people. Usually I'm, I'm good at, at uh, and I'm not afraid of hiring people smarter than me and better than me. I, I constantly do that. My CFO, uh, who I brought in here, uh, uh, to really be my partner in, in getting this business turned around. Somebody I knew and knew would do a fabulous job, and, and uh, he's definitely a lot brighter than I am. Um, but uh, he's done a great job, and he's got his strengths. I've got my strengths. We play off each other. So I don't feel threatened by bringing in people um, that uh, really know their stuff and are really good. And it worked for me in the beverage industry, too. So I think that's another strength uh, of me. I think Maybe my weakness is, um, has to do with the coaching, training, and my enthusiasm. I'm a very enthusiastic person. That I can, I have a tendency to maybe overcoach, overteach, um, and a, a tendency maybe to uh, to not always uh, uh, be patient. Um, I uh, I always have a very high sense of urgency that I bring to an organization. Patience is something that I've always had to work on my whole life um, because you know I want things to happen now. It's been very effective when it comes to turnarounds, and you know, when I was coming to Goodwill, it was about survival, and so uh, there really we couldn't. There, patience wasn't going to work in this case. Uh, but as the organization has done well, and now that we have time, it, it's about learning to be more patient, uh, uh, learning to uh, to uh, uh, ask the right questions, and then kind of let the answers come. And so I think say, that's my, my biggest weakness. Yeah, that's very transparent, Mike. Listeners, I want to underscore a couple of things here. In having the opportunity to work with Mike on creating and developing and building the culture that is now resulting in these huge successes that you're hearing them talk about at uh, Goodwill of Silicon Valley, what uh, people don't recognize typically that goes on in these kind of situations and scenarios is when Mike first came in and you know got started with these visionary, creative, insightful, innovative ideas that he had deployed very successfully in the beverage industry. Uh, we had a lot of shock, stunned, deer in the headlights, you know, kind of people who weren't used to Mike's style of leadership, <laughs> you know, his style of leadership. And, you know, I'm so happy to report that, uh, you know, uh, watching Mike, uh, you know, learn to increase his patience and, you know, showing him things with the data instruments that, you know, he didn't know was there. He thought everybody was really right on listening and they were, you know, had a lot of folks who were just nodding their head and smiling and saying, okay, Mike, whatever you say. But deep down inside, they, they, they weren't there yet. But just watching Mike, you know, take a look at the data on his uh, leadership assessments and on his culture assessments and slow down and listen and talk to people and get down to their level and, you know, put measurement systems in place that uh, he was willing to 
lead and say, here, guys, you know, you measure me. You know, I want to measure my effectiveness as a leader. Am I leading you in a manner that's causing you to set more goals or slow down? Am I leading you in a manner that's causing you to be more innovative or, or slow down? Am I leading you in a manner that's causing you, you know, to step up to the plate and want to partner with other people and, and other organizations and do things well? Or are you feeling that, you know, uh, I'm intimidating you by my passion and my energy and my vision? And, you know, we got some stuff, some feedback and some data that uh, surprised the daylights out of Mike, but the way that he handled it and uh, has gone back and talked and opened up and listened and put a process in place, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know of, of, of anybody that's left your senior team other than for a better position since we got started with the project, Mike, and then even... Uh, Chris Baker, your CFO, who is a brilliant guy and really gets business and numbers and all, you know, and leadership. I mean, uh, very unique in that, you know, he's a, what I would call him is a, is a people-oriented CFO as opposed to a, n- a numbers-oriented CFO. Just your capacity to, to open up and work with those kind of folks, that, that transparency and humility that it's so hard for vision-oriented leaders to develop. Can you, can you give our listeners a little bit of insights on some of the lessons that you learned that helped you maybe slow down some of your vision and your energy and your passion that, you know, because people w- were not getting it that quickly? Yeah, well, um, also... Um I, I think one of the things I, I should say, I, I'm a work in progress, so, uh, and I think I'll probably be a work in progress my whole life, um, uh, and I think that's, that's anybody who's willing to really be a lifelong learner and somebody, which I am, and I always have prided myself on that, and uh, uh, somebody who's really in a leadership position in an organization should look at that as, as, being, a, um, as being a work in progress because you're always going to be on this journey, uh, constantly striving for um, improvement. Uh, I was going to say perfection because that's another issue that I have, that I, I tend to try to drive perfection, and I've really tried to work on that. Um, I think that's due to a lot of my upbringing and where I came from, but uh, um, uh, that's always something I've got to watch is, is, is the perfection standpoint. Uh, but from the standpoint of, uh, of some of the, the challenges, you know, really getting the 360-degree feedback uh, gave, and there was a lot of good things in that feedback, um, uh, but there were some key uh, things in there of some of the behaviors that I might have been driving. A lot of it surrounding, I think, competitive and uh, uh, definitely not conventional. I don't get, I don't drive conventional behavior, and, and even that, even that's even decreasing even more. Um, so from one of those passive aggressive behaviors, I seem to do fairly decent, but I seem to drive um, perfection, perfectionist behavior, competitive behavior a bit. Um, and we're not talking about competitive against goals or markets. No. We're talking about competitive against each other inside right. of the right. team, right? Right, exactly. Though the interesting thing is usually when you you drive high competitive behavior, you should drive conventional behavior. My 360s show that while I'm driving competitive behavior, I'm actually dropping my conventional. So I, they're, not, they're not acting in a conventional way from that standpoint, which is a little bit uh, – it, it's difficult for me to, to figure that one out. But uh, – uh, that's why we have the meetings and, and we talk and we, we can ask questions to the people that are, that are giving us our 360s. And then we get to do one-on-ones with them, which I'm looking forward to, uh, to doing this again. Um, uh, but uh, uh, So I'd say from my standpoint, the, the types of behaviors that, that I have, uh, that I drive are the, are the, the, the power behavior. Um, I, I definitely drive aggressive behaviors in people, not, not uh, uh, passive-aggressive. And that, that's kind of the areas. 
but at the same time, I, I think I, I drive some good self-actualization and achievement um, areas, but, you know, I, maybe not as affiliative as, as, as I'd like. Well, well, um, well aggressive behaviors, listeners, uh, Mike's kind of talking the excellent culture's language here. Aggressive behaviors are very good things, uh, like, you know, you want people to be competitive. You want people to be powerful. You want people to step up to the plate and talk about things when there's a problem. Uh, the challenge is when uh, power becomes uh, ego and intimidates people and competition becomes uh, us against them inside of the organization, that's where they start to be destructive. And uh, what you're hearing Mike talk about is how he has, you know, used these data instruments to become very transparent with, you know, finding out from his people, n not in a warm and fuzzy uh, feely touchy way, but in a very specific data-driven measurement way. I mean, what is my leadership causing you to act like? And then uh, open up the dialogue and build common vision and make positive change happen in a very, very, very proactive way that many CEOs uh, would just be uh, too intimidated by kind of, uh, you know, opening their hearts and souls up uh, to their people in a way that was data-driven rather than, well, uh, let's just have some warm and fuzzy conversation. I mean, Mike's about accountability, and, uh, and he, he, he leads accountability by being accountable. Is that a good way to describe yeah. it, Mike? Yeah, well, I guess, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of like that, you know, you walk the talk, and uh, uh, the other thing is I've always been a, um, and fully really believe that in an organization that, that the leaders of the organization need to get down into the trenches and do some of the work in the beer business, I mean, not that I, I wasn't, I you know, wasn't supposed to be at a desk, or I, I should be uh, managing uh, when it was in, important to manage or lead. But at times, uh, leading might be building a beer display, or hopping on a beer truck, or riding with a salesman. Um, and and by doing that, um, that really, I think, from my standpoint, is an important attribute for leaders in an organization that they're not afraid to get their hands dirty. And, and, of course, they shouldn't be doing it all the time, but, but every once in a while it is appropriate to do that. And so you learn a lot from that, too. And uh, you can break some of those barriers down uh, when you're working right alongside a, side a guy, especially in a physical labor-type uh, uh, job. And so I think from my standpoint, um, you know, typical type A-type behavior, which I probably picked up since I was a child. I think I grew up in a family of... Uh, Type A's and uh, <laughs> a very competitive family with six kids, Irish Catholic. Uh, there was a lot of noise in that house. <laughs> a lot. And uh, very competitive. And we were all competing for, you know, seconds on the dinner table all the way to, uh, uh, you know, affection and attention from our parents with six kids. You know, it has to be spread out. And, uh, you know, just a lot of that. So I, I part of it is a self awareness of where that comes from. And, uh, and then uh, knowing that. Uh, that, uh, you know, as an individual, um, that I'm not perfect, but there are other people just like me, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly imperfect, and that's why I'm, 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 I'm going to be working on this most of my life. It's beautiful. All man. of my life. We're going to tweet you on that quote that, as a leader, I'm a work in progress and will be my whole life. There you go. Yeah. By the way, and that uh, Twitter address for Mike Fox is GoodwillSVCEO, so if you guys want to follow him. Please do that. We're going to head into a break. You're listening to Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM. We're excited to hear more in our last segment with Mike Fox.
Remember Ross Perot, the Texas millionaire who ran for president in the early 90s? Did you realize that he's built multiple companies that sold for billions? Each of his companies held a strong values-based culture. We interviewed his CFO and COO. His insightful comments on the role of culture in business are posted on the Culture News blog at excellentcultures.com. Take a look. You'll gain wonderful insights to building your own excellent cultures on excellentcultures.com. You can also follow us at XLNT Cultures or Facebook slash Excellent Cultures. Off-the-cuff management is old school at the very least. With culture at the root of every business problem or success, data-driven strategic leadership is where today's best businesses are focused. No one knows that better than Excellent Cultures. After 35 years, they are the Northwest's premier strategic leadership firm. Excellent Cultures has the expertise to read the soul of your business and generate abundance. Take the free BizCulture MRI or ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. As an executive, CEO, or business owner, do you find yourself struggling with work-life balance and achieving your goals at work and home? Are you overwhelmed in your workload and feel important things aren't getting done? Our coaches specialize in helping leaders like you overcome challenges and build a plan to recenter their life, to achieve the balance and success you've always hoped for in your business and your personal life. Ask the experts at Excellent Cultures about the right plan for you. And we're back from the break on Biz Culture Matters on Clay 1180 AM, brought to you by ExcellentCultures.com. Very quickly as we get into our uh, last section with Mike Fox, remember, listeners, we want to hear from you. Uh, go ahead and email us right now. Ask the experts at ExcellentCultures.com. We want to have a conversation with you. Confidential will help you out. And if you've got questions for Mike as well, we can forward those on to him. And uh, you've heard a lot about Goodwill today, a lot more that they are doing besides just thrift stores, a lot they're doing to help our community, our society uh, in America, and definitely where Mike's at down there in the Silicon Valley area, California. I am excited, Mike. I was looking at your Twitter feed um, during the break, and uh, you're a baseball guy. So I'm a baseball guy. Are you a Giants fan or a Padres fan? Uh, I'm a Giants fan, uh, Giants and A's, and also a big 49er fan. <laughs> nice. That didn't work out too well. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're sorry. We're I was sorry. rooting for the 49ers, too. That was a disturbing Super Bowl. Well, yeah. I, I, wish, I wish that we could have those uh, four plays down at the goal line all over again. Yeah. I think that Coach Harbaugh would have maybe called a different uh, set of plays. I wow. think we can thank the city of New Orleans for the power outage, though, that brought back the momentum. <laughs> yeah. You know, either that or it was a – San Francisco fan, uh, engineer, techie, hacker that was a spy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, on, on the Wi Fi in the Superdome trying to change the momentum really made it happen. It got deep. Well, yeah. listeners, yeah. we've been I was listening for my game last year, and the same thing happened at the Candlestick Park. Really? The play. That's right. That game, and we were uh, stuck in the dark for about 30 minutes. So, That's right. so what I is, saw that on YouTube, actually. So, what does Silicon crazy. Valley hackers have in common with? Sports bet organized crime will be a, sub- <laughs> <laughs> will be a subject subject for a future show. A, a future sure. show. But right now, we're going to pull the most we can out of Mike Fox, a very transparent leader here on the show. We're excited. Thanks for thanks for sharing all you have. Steve, pull something out of him. So, Mike, um, and, and by the way, listeners, uh, Mike Fox is not running for president, but you know I would definitely vote for him regardless of what party he was a part of because – this is an example. I think we're going to call this segment Phenomenal Business Success with a Huge Heart. I mean, this is an example 
of how uh, a, a group of leaders in a community uh, can uh, harness the energies of a, uh, a nonprofit organization to not only do a phenomenal job of making profit and then investing it back into the community, but a phenomenal job of changing lives and improving the economy by adding jobs and equipping people to go out and work in a meaningful way, growing in their expectations and their self-esteem and their job skills. Just a, a phenomenal success story here that we're listening to. So, and, I, and we, with guys like Mike, we never were able to hear everything that he knows in one show. We'll probably have him back a few times. But if you have questions that you want to ask him, we're not going to give you his email address because he's a busy guy. But if you'll send us your questions at asktheexperts at excellentcultures.com, we'll filter them down, you know, get them to Mike and have him process them and get them back to you because this is a, a success story and a set of principles and ideas and philosophies that can turn our nation around. And if, if we can get more people to can to deploy these and can turn our nation around without politics without politics and you know without you know a bunch of people arguing arguing over what's the right way to do it uh let's let's just go help people and do it in a way that's productive and efficient and improves the economy you know way to go mike and gwsv team so my, my next question is about the the recent gallup poll that tells us that 70 plus percent of our employees in United States are effectively disengaged with their jobs. And, you know, I mean, not only do we have a have a national economy that's struggling compared to other economies in the world, and high unemployment, uh, every place but you know Silicon Valley, it sounds like, but we have a situation where 70% of the people who go to work every day are not doing it because they're happy. Uh, Mike, tell us your thoughts on. Uh, what's the, what's the connection between this employee engagement and the values and ethics that you've successfully deployed at GWSV? Well, I can tell you, and, and through experience and also um, through observation, that employees who aren't engaged in the organization, um, while they themselves, for the majority, may not um, may not participate in unethical behavior directly, they have a tendency to look the other way when observing it because um, that's ah, not my problem. I'm not going to deal with it. Um, and so uh, by having an engaged culture and people who care about the organization, and they really should care about the organization uh, regardless if it's profit, nonprofit, because they should care about their future and how they're doing because they could be associated with it. They really, um, uh, by be, I think when you engage people, um, people are more apt or more uh, uh, willing to get involved when they see things happening. Um, we saw that at Goodwill. When I came in here, there were a lot of issues from an ethical standpoint, a lot of people not saying anything. Uh, now we brought in a strong loss prevention team. Uh, they're engaged. They engage employees. Um, it's harder to get away with things around here now, especially, you know, we're dealing with a lot of people who are ex-offenders and homeless people who we've got employed. And so, it, it, you know, there's, there's always that tendency of, uh, of, of people to either not engage um, when they see unethical behavior because they've grown up seeing it so much or participate in themselves. And now we've got employees that care because they know that we care, and that helps. So what we try to, you know, my, my thing on ethics has always been that if I, as an employee, um, I should always uh, uh, ask that question is, the behavior that I see or observe, and this is what we try to teach them, is that something that I wouldn't mind seeing on the cover of the New York Times with my name associated with it? And also ask yourself, is that a behavior that's illegal? And if, if you answer those, uh, if it's yes, that yes, it's illegal, and it's no, it's definitely not something I want to see on the front page of the New York Times, 
you know, that's something that you uh, you really need to bring to somebody's attention. Uh, and we have different methods of doing that. We have an 800 ethics line that employees can call. Um, though we're starting, we've really seen the last four years the calls that ethics line drop, and we're seeing people go more directly to managers when certain behaviors are are um, observed. Uh, but the, the key thing is getting that engaged culture, making people look forward to going to work every day, enjoying the environment they're in, feel like they're valued. And the more that people feel like they're valued, the less opportunity, less chance there is for unethical behavior. Um, because people who are going to be unethical aren't going to want to be in that kind of a culture. They, they, they don't look for those kind of cultures. They look for those cultures where everybody's downtrodden and uh, kind of put on upon and, and people are unhappy. And uh, those are much more easier to exploit than a, a culture that's engaged. Yeah, that is so true. So, Mike, uh, one of the, the practices, for lack of a better way to describe it, that I've watched you guys uh, put in place uh, you know, it's easy to say words like, you know, people are valued and we value people and, you know, they become trite. Uh, we've got about two minutes left. Uh, what I would like for you to do is kind of put your coach's hat on and share with our listeners, listeners from your perspective, uh, you know, w- w- what have you done in the culture with your numbers-driven accountability to, you know, make this we care about people something that's real and lived and not trite? Well, there's a few things. One, we start to measure um, where we're at and the, the type of behaviors we're at, where we're at now, but also where do we want to get to, and, and that's kind of what we want to aspire to our vision. So we have a goal. We know where we want to get to. We're not there, but everybody in the organization knows what we're striving for. That helps. The other thing is it's important to hire the right people, the people that fit your culture, and, and we're, we just about a year, year and a half ago started to put together hiring standards around that. Um, you know, um, the Zappos uh, organization in Las Vegas, the shoe company that started here in Silicon Valley, um, does a great job of that, of hiring to their culture. And uh, I think that's a real key, uh, a key uh, method there. The other thing is to have a mission. Um, we have great, we have a built-in social mission already, but there's great companies doing that now. I mean, I think of, uh, you know, I spoke on this economic forum with the general manager of uh, Tata & Sons and also uh, the um, uh, chief uh, uh, the chief, um, uh, uh, I forgot, uh, like C, uh, CFO type uh, at uh, SAP, and uh, they talk about that in their organizations of adding a social mission into the bottom line that really gets their employees engaged. Uh, if you take a look at uh, um, uh, the CEO of Unilever, um, Paul Pullman, who uh, a few months ago came out and said that they now have a goal of growing revenue, um, doubling revenue in the next five years, but also cutting their environmental impact by 50% and increasing sustainability in everything they do. And that means in hiring certain uh, low-growing uh, type farmers that are sustainable farmers and uh, really helping from that standpoint. That's what helps, too, is having that kind of a mission. Coca-Cola, you're starting to see things out of them. So you're starting to see the for-profit companies understanding how a social mission can play into, um, play into an engaged culture and a, an ethical culture. And so we're lucky we had that social mission built in. We probably had to bring some of the, 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 the business-type attributes into the organization, into our culture. But um, I think that goes a long way. And, and for those that run um, non, uh, for-profit organizations, I would look at seeing, whether it's environmental or whatever, how you can increase your sustainability of your organization. That means your people, planet, and profit. And by doing that, you can make more money. So, it's not, you know, there is a 
factor that you can actually grow your revenues and grow your profits by doing that. So Excellent. People, planet, and what was the third one? People, planet, profit. There you go. People, planet, and profit. We've had a great time. Thanks for being on the show, Mike. We really appreciate it. We'll look, at, look forward to having you again. Listeners, you've been listening to Biz Culture Matters. We've got to wrap it up. We are out of time. Shoot us an email, ask the experts at excellentcultures.com. You can also catch this and many other podcasts with leaders and CEOs all over the country at excellentcultures.com. We, you've been listening on Clay 1180 AM, your conversation station. Have a good week.